What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponko Chicken. Ponko Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponko is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponko if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American Chicken Tender just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner, um, Midtown Alliance Best Taste winner. Just they won all the awards because Ponco is great and Ponco is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponco Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also. If you have not already, go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, uh, more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast will be there. So go do that today. Um, all right. I think that's everything. We can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right. We're back on the Chase Thomas podcast. Wednesday afternoon edition. Mark Morehouse of the Gazette is here. Mark, good afternoon, sir. How are you doing? Good, Chase. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. As good as we can be right now in these uncertain times. Um, but, you know, I'm Absolutely. about to be in a petri dish of weirdness being a Georgia resident. So we shall see oh, how yeah. everything unfolds over the next couple of weeks. But um, I don't stay know safe. Yet. Just stay safe. Be smart. You know, that's all you can do. It's all we can do. Um, so Iowa football uh, is something I wanted to discuss with you. We obviously have AJ Espinenza, who's going in the first round, a couple of other Iowa guys that are going to go high in the draft this uh, this week. But um, I want to first talk about, because I'm a big FPI guy, I love going through the projections. I love looking at what the, what the computers and the analytics are saying about certain teams and what they forecast this fall. And Hopefully we have college football this fall. And if that's the case, I was going through Iowa's schedule. And I don't know if you've had a second to go through it, but the sure. only, there are only four games that FPI has uh, Iowa not favored in. And one of them's basically 50-50, but it's like 49% Iowa. So it still gives the edge to Minnesota. But mm -hmm. the four games, it's Whiskey at home, at Penn State, at Ohio State, and at Minnesota, um, which I thought was interesting, too, that they're giving them 50-50 possible um, at Minnesota. Well, what do you think about those four games? Do you think it's fair that FPI projects this year's Iowa team as maybe an 8-4, and 9-3 and three type of team? Uh, I would agree. I would go 8-4. and four. I don't think I'd go 9-3 and three yet. Um, Iowa has a new quarterback. Um, kind of spring would be would have been a good time to get to know center features but we didn't get that chance uh but uh, back, um, uh ohio state and penn state back to back on the road uh michigan state's on the schedule this year which is always a tough game for iowa just because they play a similar style very close line of scrimmage and it's 50-50 game a lot most of the time. Uh, Wisconsin, I think you hit the nail on the head. Wisconsin, to me, is uh, Iowa's biggest hurdle. 
if Iowa beats Wisconsin, it has a chance to win the West every year. Four years, so uh, they have their work cut out there. I think the, the one little tricky thing that with Iowa's schedule this year is uh, they have to play Minnesota on a Friday. You know, if these games happen, of course, but they have to they have Minnesota on a Friday, and then six days later they're they're in um, uh, Iowa City playing Iowa State. So that's two trophy games in a six day span. I think that's going to be tough for the Hawkeyes. I think it's going to be tough for uh, uh, just the, the short, the better rivals. Um, I'm glad you make a minute, bring a Minnesota chase because Minnesota to me is, uh, uh, they're probably the team that's most motivated to beat Iowa. Why do you think that? It's been a while. <laughs> it's been, uh, uh, I can't, I'm blanking. I'm, it's been, I think it's five straight for Iowa. And then if you go back a little bit more, it's it's pretty lopsided toward Iowa. And uh, I, I mean, Iowa's even said stuff about, uh, you know, Iowa, uh, the, the uh, offensive coordinator, Brian Ferentz, who seems to be the heir apparent. We don't know that for sure, but seems to be the heir apparent. But he's openly talked about uh, some of the stuff that, uh, um, oh, the, uh, the 400, 300 offers that Minnesota does, 400 offers, uh, they've ended up in the same living rooms a few times. And they, one, one key player that was a gopher commit for a while, then I would talk to him into Iowa was Amir Smith-Marset. So there's, there's some pretty bitter recruiting wars going on there. And then Iowa just beating Minnesota every year. Uh, I think it'd be a big deal. It was a big deal for the gophers to get, uh, Wisconsin a couple of years ago. I think that was really a big thing for their program to kind of kick it in a little bit. And you saw Wisconsin kind of sit in that same box for Minnesota. If they beat one of those two teams or both, they're onto a great season. So big, big pressure for Minnesota, but maybe probably more pressure on uh, Fleck to win that game than, than Iowa. But see, like, Flex got to just have carte blanche at this point. Like, he just, I, I don't know if you watched the Auburn-Minnesota Bowl game, and I had the unpleasant um, situation of watching it and writing about it and just what Stanley Johnson, or uh, what, why am I saying Stanley Johnson? Oh, the NBA player, Stanley Johnson, Steven Johnson. What he did against Auburn is just, like, illegal in 11 states. It was It was very painful <laughs> to watch a Minnesota team just play SEC football and just beat Auburn into submission. It was it was very unfortunate. And he was just a lot of big wins, um, beating Penn State, just what they did last year where it's like he's got like a three to five year window where I, I just he's just so motivating there and the row the boat stuff and PJ Fleck just there's so much interest in Minnesota football now and it's just been since the Lawrence Maroney years, it's just been a really long time since that was the case that like even if he doesn't beat Iowa for a couple more years, who cares? It's like the Jim Harbaugh thing where it's like Michigan fans, do you understand like how good you still have it? Like even if you don't beat Ohio State all that often, like Jim Harbaugh is never gonna have things fall off. You're still in a really good shape for a long time. Like PJ Fleck is gonna have this program in great shape for a long time. The other thing too is that PJ Fleck and Kirk Ferentz feel like the complete opposite ends of the spectrum in personality. Am I off base there? Are those two just like, they just seem completely different in all facets of their life and the way they are? I think it's a salesmanship. Uh, I think, uh, let's say you're buying a TV mm-hmm. uh, and Kirk shows up. Kirk's tie is tied. He is on time. <laughs> he is giving you eye contact. He is old school. You're going to buy that TV. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be a flat tube. It might be a giant television that's updated, but you're going to buy that TV. And Flack, it sounds like, you know, I, I don't know. I've never been recruited by him, but just, just reading and, and just seeing, you know, he's been on TV. He's had a, a show dedicated to him. Uh, I think that tells you that the, the huge difference between their personalities is there's no way in hell Ferentz would ever say yes to a, to a, a personalized TV show. And Fleck, I think it did, did two seasons or at least one. But anyway, yeah, they, I agree, Chase. They are 100% different. And you know what? I, Iowa fans kind of wrap themselves in the, uh, he's crazy, that flag. No, no, he's not, actually. He's he's connecting. I think the connections he makes with kids is deep. It's just starting, though, for Minnesota right now. So um, they need to win. I mean, they need to win. I think the winning gives puts air underneath Fleck and his message. Um, I think without wins, without big, important wins, like, say, over Iowa and Wisconsin, and people aren't going to listen to him. And, and you, you know that market up there, Chase, in the pro market. 
a team like a college football team like Minnesota that hasn't been a rose. Uh, that it's hard to stay relevant. It's hard to stay in the front page. So uh, the only way Minnesota is going to do that is with consistent winning. Um, can Fleck do that? I'd say so far so good. I mean, I've seen a lot of Minnesota's coaches come and go. Uh, I like what Fleck's doing. Uh, I agree with it. And Minnesota has to be different in message and in uh, uh, scheme, maybe in some of the things that they do, just because they they just had nothing's worked up there forever. So I'm, I'm, I'm applauding Fleck. Uh, you know, if they wouldn't have had a big bounce this year, it might have been tough for him. It might have gotten a little bit dark early. But Minnesota is such a weird place. They've had to fire so many ADs and people, and uh, they kind of need some stability in the football program. Fleck gives them that shot. Um, Brian Ference, you mentioned him briefly. He, that, I didn't even think about the head coach and waiting and just thinking about Kirk Ferentz not being in the sidelines for Iowa is just weird. I think we're, I, I don't think, how long do you think he has? Cause I hadn't really considered it. And there's another part to this, which is, are we sure that Brian Ferentz is the right guy to lead this offense? I mean, he's no Greg Davis, no Greg Davis, but um, I don't know. I guess I, I hadn't considered that it, this was just a foregone conclusion and that this is all the, the right direction. Do Iowa fans feel the same too? You know, that's a great question. I, I have kind of, I was automatically in podcast where we blindly saying yeah it'll be brian and from a lot of some of the stuff i'd heard yeah things kind of pointed that way now i don't know i mean there's been a few sideline not i don't want to say incidents but last year brian drew two two 15 her penalties for uh f-bombs on the sideline to officials i think it was two uh then he had a, uh, uh, an incident in the press box with some uh, cuss words come a quiet press box um kind of mentality that can that make it at Iowa? Can that make it in college football? Um, you know, when you're that explosive, is that an NFL personality? Is that, you know, is that a personality that's more geared toward uh, coaching adults, you know, people with uh, mortgages and stuff than it is with kids who have homework? So I think that question's out there. Um, yeah. And does the offense work? I'm not sure if the offense matters as much. What they do scheme wise is what they do as far as, you know, time of possession, the things they want to do to win games. They still want to play it uh, a conservative. They'll still want to play it, uh, make the game longer. They're still going to want to uh, possess the ball as much as they can. I think that's just going to be Iowa. That's just what Terrence's legacy will be it for Iowa to win. Um, I think Brian has the knowledge, and I think he's a, kind of a, one of those football savants to where, yeah, you want him to run in your offense. Uh, but the personality, I, I keep coming back to personality. I think everything else would be fine. I wonder about personality. And, and your point, Chase, uh, is it a fait complete? You know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I haven't really gauged that for a while. And I, I don't think so. I think that the university would go through um, its protocols to hire a football coach. But uh, we'll see. Time, you know, things move fast these days. And uh, if people see the guy that lies out there, they'll make a move on him without a committee. So uh, Kirk have, you know, I would have said maybe after this year, I, I, I always thought it would be after last year. I was wrong. Um, and then now, now the, uh, the break here, you know, the quarantine is kind of changed my idea. You know, maybe he comes back and he's like, you know what, that's been enough. And he's going to have more grandkids and all that stuff. Uh, maybe he comes back and, you know, let's do, let's be done after this year. Or me, you know, he's, guys he's only in incredible shape. Yeah, uh, yeah, sixty. He'll be sixty. So, incredible shape, uh, incredible mind. Um, still way into it, uh, and still has a competitive fire. So, um, I, I think right now he's got a staff set up to where it's sort of a balance of um, uh, teachers and veteran teachers and guys who played for Iowa. There's three former Hawkeyes on the staff right now, including Brian. LeVar Woods, special teams coordinator, and the defensive line coach, uh, uh, Kevin Bell, all played for the Hawkeyes. So I think, you know, kind of an Iowa flight to where Kirk could, you know, hand, hand it off to any one of those three guys. I would even throw Seth Wallace in there. I'd throw Phil Parker in there as defensive coordinator. Um, any of those guys could run the ship. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they're with Iowa. I don't know if there's anybody outside unless maybe like a Mark Stoops, you know, can, can, a uh, 
can you win at Kentucky? Can you win at Kentucky on a consistent basis? No one has. Or he's a former Hawkeye. I played for the Hawkeyes. So, you know, I don't want to grind into too many, go into too many names like that because not very many pop up because Ferentz has closed that down for so long. But interesting, interesting thoughts. Uh, I think uh, Ferentz, you know, I think it could be, you know, maybe after this break, maybe it's one more year, maybe it's five more years. I don't know. His contract goes through 2025. Hmm. Who was responsible for getting Penn State and Ohio State back to back on the road? Who who did that? Who thought this was fine? <laughs> who thought this was a good idea? That that would be the Big Ten scheduling computer, which mm-hmm. over my whatever how many years has become a, uh, you know, has changed from uh, the computer you'd see in office space to a laptop. I'm sure any either however way whatever that thing spits out, people complain about it. This year Iowa did. Iowa, I'll say this though: Iowa schedule. They Iowa has been due to run the gauntlet. The schedule that Nebraska was given when it first joined the Big Ten, oh my. And then in the last couple of years, I think Wisconsin has walked that walk. It was Iowa's turn. I mean, everybody in the West has, has uh, or a few teams in the West have that tough gauntlet every year. Yeah, I, I would go through this. It has to. Um, it stood up to last time to Ohio State. I don't think it will this time, not at Ohio State. Um, I think Penn's a real interesting one for Iowa. I think Iowa been very close to Penn State the last two times. Probably should have beaten them out there two years ago. Uh, last year in Kinnick, I thought Penn State kind of controlled things pretty well. But that is one I think Iowa can get if things are going right. I think it's a must for Iowa to get Michigan State. Now, where does Wisconsin fit? Uh, I think it's a must. I think that's kind of a must game this year because you can't let your main rival get too far away from you. What are you going to miss most about Nate Stanley? Um, you know what? Football wise, big arm. I mean, he he had an arm that could throw, that could swing it from, you know, any wave, shape, or form, any spot on the field. Everybody was still in play. Big arm. Um, good kid, smart kid. Uh, uh, Didn't go kind of uh, doesn't. Uh, Bethard Summit goes down, went downtown more than uh, than uh, Stanley did. I think that uh, Nate. Interesting to see how Nate does in the NFL. I mean, seriously, I. I want to see how his leadership style, which I think was tentative at first and then toward the end, I think got pretty sharp. I want to see how that goes. And I also, you know, he was a guy who at the end of went through a quarterback school, quick, quick quarterback coach deal. He skipped the senior bowl and another, uh, I want to say the, the shrine game to work on his mechanics with a QB guru. I want one. Uh, he talked about that at the combine. He said Iowa doesn't get into uh, the whys of what your throws are because you know they just don't. Uh, so I think he. I think the fact that he did that kind of opened my eyes. Made made me think that maybe he was nervous about it, and uh, he did that instead of going to the Senior Bowl. But I'm interested to see where he lands. I'm interested to see if he can thrive. Uh, uh, it tells me he was nervous about his mechanics i i don't know i think i think if there is one thing that's a downfall for him it is moving uh throwing on the on the run extending plays but that's you know that's something he can kind of you can kind of learn over time the thing about the nfl do you get that time to learn and that'll be that'll be the question for stanley who is the next iowa quarterback we assume it's spencer but um my man deuce hogan is uh on the horizon (laughs) to the four star Great name. I mean, just a all-time great Big Ten quarterback name. It's it's not it, quite it, Lombardi. What was the what was his name like? Ho, what the Michigan State blonde kid? It was something like oh, Rocky Lombardi. Rocky, Rocky. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's an all-time Rapids native. Um, but, Rapids native. Yeah, so he's, he's got it right. But Deuce Hogan is just incredible. Love that name. Um, what, what is the Iowa quarterback situation over the next couple of years? Right now, I think well, Spencer Peters is going to get a chance to drive the car. Um, six five two thirty. He's kind of Stanley esque, I think. But um, let's see if he's got a, a little more accuracy in him, a um, little higher completion percentage, a little better ball placement, probably move things along a little bit. Uh, so P- Peters has a chance to really kind of come in and take over. If he's sharp, his first few performances, um, and if he's accurate and if he's completing 60% of his passes, fans are going to notice that they're going to get right behind him and go, yeah, this is our guy. Um, there's another guy, Alex Padilla from Colorado, who's he's different differently than built than the other two. 
I think Deuce six four two ten ish. But he is probably about six one, one ninety ish. Here's my hope, though. I, I hope that either for Iowa, just because I, I had to cover a pretty messy uh, quarterback co- uh, controversy, I want to say in 2014, uh, between Jake Rudock and C.J. Beathard. Mm. Uh, it took Iowa, 2014 was basically ruined because they really, they gave Rudock the, the job. They stuck with Rudock. Um, he just didn't move the team the way it needed to. And I think most of the team had figured out, hey, they like Beathard tank, and it was really ugly toward the end. Um, and then finally in January, France put out, for, for the only time, he put out a depth chart in January that had uh, Beathard as the starter, and then Rudock obviously transferring. So it's a big deal for Iowa. They, they fall in love with their guy, and then it's, can that, you know, they stay in love with their guy maybe too long. But I, I think that uh, Peter's chance come in and uh, take this over. Deuce not being here for spring doesn't bother me at all. I think Duke, Deuce's dad's uh, uh, is his head coach was his head coach down in high school down there. So this is a very advanced football mind. He came in. Uh, uh, I think a, a quarterback coach, Ken O'Keefe asked him for his cover four beaters. Uh, and then uh, Deuce took over the board. Kind of, kind of wowed him. So Deuce has something. Um, and he's talent there too. I just wonder how that convers- how that uh, competition is going to unfurl. I'm not sure there'll be one if if uh, Petrus comes in and tears things up right away. Do you get the vibe that Deuce would sit behind Petrus for years? Because it seems like all these Iowa quarterbacks are just are there for 12 years at a time. Um, does he <laughs> does he wait? Does he does he sit and really learn the offense and just is comfortable waiting? in line for uh, Spencer to move on? Or do you think there's a chance that like they have to open this up and give him a real shot um, to win the job outright uh, to keep him long-term? That'll be interesting. Uh, that's, that's the mystery. That's, that's the question. Um, I, I think, you know, it's, it's going to be a two-year deal. Uh, well, I guess three years, sophomore, uh, junior, senior. Um, you know, it depends on where, Deuce fits in. It depends on how far he pushes out the depth chart. Um, it depends on how he. I think most of uh, Petrus's future is in Petrus's hands. I mean, he's getting the shot right now, and and everybody uh, everybody said the right stuff as far as um, he knows the offense. Now he's mastering the offense, and that's the one thing. Whenever you hear the, hear the Iowa quarterback coach Ken O'Keefe say quarterback and master, well, that guy's probably entrenched so it's up to it's up to spencer petrus how long spencer petrus pulled off uh, football right now that's kind of all we have to go on it will be interesting to to monitor i'm, I'm not in on spencer petrus face uh he's got a baby face to an unreal extent the rest of his body does not match his face i encourage everybody to look at this kid it doesn't add up his face is a 12 year old and the rest of him is like a college quarterback it, it makes no sense it's a weird look I, look this is this is reality folks if you have a face like spencer petrus i i worry about your chances against deuce hogan who literally looks like he came out of the jd mccoy friday night lights factory and I, I I don't know, like the confidence level between the two. They seem very different personality types. I think Spencer seems like the quiet, like, I'm going to do my job. The Nate Stanley, never going out. Deuce Hogan, I feel like, is going to go out. I feel like he's going to have fun in Iowa City. I feel like Deuce Hogan is um, going to be a, a spectator. Like, it, it's going to be interesting, I, I will say. That's all from my uh, I, I- observations. I would say maybe switch that around. Really, uh, do, do, Deuce is Deuce is an evangelical. He's very very religious. It's a it's a big deal. You can deal still go him. out. Uh, you can be invel- invel- Yeah, he, and he did, and he did. <laughs> when, when, he, when Iowa City last year, his visit, I think he went out. He stayed sober. Most of the old linemen were hammered, uh, <laughs> and, he, and he started pulling out some magic tricks to kind of entertain <laughs> their minds because they were tricks? hammered. Yeah. So Deuce, Deuce is a more of a he's more straight edge. Uh, Spencer, I don't want to say he's crazy, but I'll say this: uh, you know how sometimes you'll connect with a player just on some silly little thing, like mm. something they said, something I said, something I wrote, something we saw and laughed at together. Spencer's a huge Tyler Childers fan. 
Tyler Childers. So we talk about that quite a bit. Uh, actually, I think University of Iowa students put on a uh, a, marath- a dance marathon every year for Iowa City. And Deuce got on stage and played a little, I want to say mandolin, maybe with a guitar, I'm not sure, but uh, he's got a little uh, uh, Americana music in him, and I, I, I'm here to endorse that. Interesting, interesting. Um, AJ Espinenza, what do we, what do non-Iowa football fans, what do we, what do we get wrong about him? What, what would you say that when you read draft profiles and you read how people are looking at this kid, what do people get wrong about him? Well, I think it's more they, and I fall into this camp too, and I'm I'm not going to blame anyone for this, but you know, you, you kind of get wrapped into his uh, combine performance, his 40. And I wrote about that yesterday. I, I think you're, I think if you just look at that and say, oh goodness, it's got to be what you. I'm not going to ask him to run 40 yards downfield. They're going to ask him to cover 10 yards, maybe drop him back. So. I think that people have run with the unathletic part of just a little too far. Um, to me, he's been, he's a clutch defender. And how many times do you find those in college football, at least with Iowa? I mean, guys who, okay, we need a turnover right now. Okay. Oh, hey, there he went and got one, you know, stuff. Uh, I think he got one pressure and then a sack on the last two, on the last two plays of the game. So I think you're missing the, the, the athleticism, the power. Also, the game's really important to him. I mean, his, uh, his dad played at Iowa, Epi Epineza played at Iowa. Uh, uh, the game's always been in their blood. Um, it's very important to him. And so I, I, I'm trying to think, you know, just when Epineza walked into Iowa, he's a five-star kid with a mountain of expectations. And I would say he's climbed all of them. Um, and so his reward is a five Oh four at the combine and everybody, you know, putting him in the second round. Let's just put a pin on that and see how he does. I, I'm frankly, you know, I'm kind of a Packers fan. I'm not kind of a Packers fan. I am a Packers fan. And I'm watching this draft. I'm thinking, you know what? He could probably follow the Packers and you know what? In the three from the Packers three, four, that would really work. Hoping that the band bouncing continues at least through the end of tomorrow night, and he ends up in Green Bay because I think he's football's important to him, and uh, he he's not going to show up and be a popcorn star. He's gonna he's gonna put in the time. He's gonna be he's gonna be maybe he won't be a pro bowler, but he'll be a guy like oh yeah, he's a guy who's a star you trust. He plays for you. Um, the twenty twenty one class right now it's in the top ten or it's flirting with the top ten. Do you think the Iowa Hawkeyes have a chance of really making a huge splash of their 2021 recruits. I think, yes, I think that the Iowa football recruiting is on an uptick. Uh, I think it's, it's a really ID. I think Iowa's specialty is finding the biggest kids in the littlest regions. Oh, I thought you were going to say, uh, wrestlers. They got a, yeah, or in wrestling helps too. Uh, they have a, <laughs> Kid from uh, uh, Lena, Illinois, right now. Uh, they signed him in uh, December. Isaiah Bruce. If he's not like a Mike Daniels type for the Hawkeyes, I will be shocked. He's about a six foot defensive lineman, nose guard type. Plays running back for his high school team. Running back, not not As fullback. Running back. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, I, I think a guy like that fits in. He doesn't get any recruiting stars because he's a six foot defensive lineman who's running back. So Iowa has is kind of gotten really smart at finding the biggest kids in Little's areas and making friends with them and recruiting them. Uh, uh, I think one of Bruce's uh, teammates uh, picked up an offer from Iowa. His name is Jennings Dun- Dunker. Uh, These names I think are the, not real. The guy, I, I know they they I they don't sound real. But this kid, the, the guy recruiting him, uh, Seth, Seth uh, Wallace. Uh, I think it was. I think it's the same school that Bruce is at, or, or some area. And this kid is, you know, it's like six five, six six. How big are your feet? Well, this. Okay, you want a college scholarship? Kind of like that. You know, they're they're getting the big kids in the little areas and uh, uh, finding fits. Uh, it's pretty much Iowa's ticket to offensive line and you know success in the offensive line is 
you know, finding the biggest kid who's been the biggest kid for the longest time and get them together with all the other big kids and let them eat. Last thing, and then we'll wrap up here. Um, I'm very sure. much interested in the Iowa, Iowa state future just because Matt Campbell to this point is comfortable in Iowa state. And that's interesting because you would think that he would be at the top of a lot of intriguing openings over the next couple of years. Like the Ohio state stuff's always going to be sitting there, but Ryan day seems very much entrenched for the foreseeable future. Um, is there a chance if you look in your crystal ball, would it surprise you if Matt Campbell stays the head coach of Iowa state for the next five years that Iowa state has passed Iowa as the premier football program in the state of Iowa. Do you think that is something that is going to be a reality? for Iowa or Hawkeyes that they have to maybe think about fans at least. No, I don't think it is. I think it's, I think this is where the big 10 kind of works for in Iowa. Um, the big 10 has more money than the big 12. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that that's, and I think it also has, you know, TV station, you know, also has a TV network. I shouldn't say station. That's old school. Uh, it has a TV network. It has, I don't even know. I don't want to, comprehend what the next distribution deep for the Big Ten. But the Big Ten has establishment in places where the Big 12 does. But I will say this about the Big 12. I think Bob Bolte, the AD at Iowa, has done a tremendous job sewing that together. And the Big 12 is the Big 12. It's like, uh, hey, come on and have fun. We're going to score a bunch of points. And uh, we're going to have controversy at the end, probably with the officials. And, hey, let's have fun, everybody. Um, I, I think the Big Ten the fact that I was in the Big Ten does a lot of work for Iowa. Um, Campbell, it's an interesting point you bring up. Campbell, I think, so far, I think Campbell has shown that he's smart enough to know what he has. Um, he he has a great situation where he's able to call the shots. He's he's in charge. Um, it's his program. Uh, and the AD is the AD is uh, listening to him and has his way, and it's a very positive relationship. So I, I think so far, so good as far as Campbell and seeing, you know, him understanding he has a good there in Iowa state, but you're right. I mean, there's, there could be a team, there could be a program. You know, I remember, you know, very early, uh, 2002 going through this with parents. I mean, every year it was an NFL team, uh, Colts, Bears, Packers, won Super Bowl. And I remember chasing down a bunch of Packer people. Um, uh, the one closest one was the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2002. That almost, it almost happened. So, uh, Having gone through all that, and thankfully that has worn down to experience, even though I still think that there's some NFL team that, you know, you look at Bruce Aarons, it's like, mm, maybe there's a shot. But uh, thankfully that has slowed down for me. Good luck, Iowa State beat writers on that one, because that, will, that won't go away. But, uh, you know, so far it's great for Iowa State. To me, I, I love that I, the, the state of Iowa has two Division One football or two Power Five football teams. Uh, I, I don't know how well it's going to work. I don't know how it can, how, if it'll be able to sustain, you know, over the long, long run. But uh, uh, I think it's fun. I think it's great. I think our, our state kind of needs that. All right. Well, Mark, this has been great. I appreciate the time. What can we look out from you this week at the Gazette? Well, thank you, Chase. Thanks for having me on, man. Take care. All right, we're back on the Chase Hawk Podcast. I'm now joined by a great Blackhawks writer up there in Chicago, John Dietz. John, good afternoon, sir. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Chase. Did I get your last name right? I forgot to uh, ask you before we started recording how to pronounce your last name. Did I get it right? You did. You nailed it. Much better than most. All right. Perfect. <laughs> most, people, most people mess it up, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, so I don't know if uh, – I'm sure you've seen this, that uh, – the I mean, because like everybody's talking about the NBA season, what the NFL season is going to look like, what MLB is going to start. Not a lot of traction about what the NHL was going to do because um, they were also uh, cut short. Um, now, maybe July um, is the target date. And they're looking at like, maybe a 2014 playoff, which directly affects you because this would be a way to get the Chicago Blackhawks in the playoffs because they would be the last team to make it under uh, the proposed uh, idea floating around right now um what do you think of both the july start date and also uh the blackhawks being a playoff team under the 2014 playoff format 
Oh, so many thoughts. How much time you got for me here? Um, <laughs> basically, I'll boil down to this. Um, the fa- I wrote about this right after the season was suspended, and I and exactly what I outlined was a 24-team playoff that I think allowed yeah allowed the Hawks to be the last team in based on points percentage. We'd have to do things on points percentage, right? Because obviously, not all the teams played the same number of games. Um, but the more I think about it now, now that we get to mid-April, late April, and they're talking about July and things like that. Yeah, the thing that maybe you saw today also was that they're talking about starting in July at like four or five neutral sites. Did you see that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's what they're talking about doing. Four or five neutral sites, restart the season. And might have fans, maybe, might have no fans. They haven't decided that. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking I've heard something that said there's not going to be any fans until there's a a vaccine or, or we get this thing completely under control. So I mean, we might go into a regular season next year where no fans are in the stadiums. I mean, that's all speculation at this point. Right. But that's just one thing I heard. Um, so as far as the, this goes, this plan that they have goes, I mean, I know the NHL wants to make as much money as possible and try to figure out how to do this safely. And so if you can do everything safely, you can guarantee that no player is going to catch the coronavirus and that you can, and, and, and you want to have a 2014 playoff and figure out the system and how to do that by giving like the first, you know, I think, what would it be? 12. I'm trying, I can't remember anymore. Chase to be honest, like I wrote it like a month ago, how many teams end up with buys. And then there's like one game plans. And I had all, I had this whole system laid out. Um, but that, but you could do that. But then I was thinking, I was talking about my, with my son maybe last week. And I said, you know what? It's probably better as, as, as unfair as most teams would probably think this is at this point, we've gotten to this point. Where, where it's just gotten crazy, I would almost go the exact opposite route and let like maybe just the division winners make the playoffs. Mm. And you have a best of seven conference finals and a best of seven Stanley Cup finals and some neutral site, boom, over, done. There's your Stanley Cup champion. It's going to probably have an asterisk next to it and things like that. But I mean, the more teams you put in here and the crazier it gets, I think you're just opening a can of worms that just gets bigger and bigger. So to me, I would actually contract everything. I know everybody wants to see the whole league possibly, you know, make the playoffs and have this great tournament and all that, but it just doesn't seem realistic to me at this point. Maybe you could expand it to eight teams or something like that. But I mean, honestly, the simplest thing is that the four division winners make it. And then you have your little mini playoffs and it's over and just, try to get to the next season so anyway that's my that's my complete reversal thought as we as we kind of go through this i um i just love because i've been a i i would say i would not be a proponent of the new playoff structure anyway so the fact that we're probably going to get out of that is great um because it's stupid and i i don't understand why the nhl is into the idea of sacrificing great teams in the first round to establish rivalries, as they put it, um, down the line, it it seems um, like not the best way to go about um, building your brand and to make sure that you're getting the best teams when it's all said and done in the final four. Um, did you like the the playoff format before this? Because I I did not at all, and I can think of certain fan bases that are very much opposed to it as well. You mean just allowing 16 teams in and you mean the way it's been done in the past? Yes, where they, like the adjustments, it's not one through eight. It's just the, the wild, how the wild card situation works and how, who gets in, like that new situation. Instead of just doing one through eight, doing the other route, which I just, I don't like. Yeah, I hate it too. I'm completely on the same page with you. And again, I just, we just wrote about this. Maybe, you know, we've had come up as many ideas as we can to write about. And so, um, I you know I did a really neat series chase. I don't know if you ever saw it, but it was I, I interviewed players and coaches and media members across the league last year, and it took me about four months. And I just kind of I just walked up to people and said, what would, "What would be the one thing you would change in the NHL if you could?" And I thought, well, going into it, I thought I'd have like you know four or five themes that kind of people just repeated over and over again. So I didn't really know if it was going to work, but it, but instead it was very rare that people repeated the same thing and it was incredible. It was a, and so we ran it over three days in, in January of 2019. And so it's really easy to find if you just Google like, you know, what, what, what players would make one change in the NHL by John Dietz and all that stuff would come up. One of the things you're talking, what we're talking about here is this playoff seeds is absolutely one of the things that people came up with. And, and I, and I just rewrote about it about a week or two ago. And I said, here, here's what your matchups would have been like in the West. And, and, Oddly, they would have been all Central versus Pacific matchups, 
right? So it would, there would have been no interdivision matchups in the first round. But that was okay with me because when you looked at the potential second round matchups and the potential Western Conference finals, if things kind of went according to the plan, you would have some ma- just monster matchups, really phenomenal series. And it's nice to have those in the first round, sure. But you really want them, in, like you said, in the second round or the, or the conference finals. And so, yeah, I mean, other sports, the NHL – they did it to try to promote divisional rivalries and it worked for about a season or two, but then you started to get the same matchups all the time, or you ended up with the second and third best teams or second and fourth best teams in the, you know, in a conference playing against each other in the first round. And so I did need to change that. I don't know if they will, but I think they should. How long of a rebuild is Chicago looking at right now? <sighs> That's a great question. This is my, my favorite little storyline over the last couple of years. Um, the Hawks, and I've written this before a couple times, the Hawks have a problem. They have, they have aging veterans who are costing them a ton of money against the salary cap. They also have young kids who are getting better and impressive talent that haven't learned how to win yet. And, and, and I always say when I'm on the phone with people like you, and I, I'm like, I wish you could just kind of see my hand as, as the, as the, uh, as I decline the, you know, the guys that are getting older, they're going down in talent. The other guys are coming up, so they're meeting kind of in the middle, and that's what you get out of the Hawks, right? Look at their standings. Look at where they are, basically. They're about a 500 team, hockey yeah. team. Which yeah, is exactly. So you get yeah. this. Exactly. That's why you get this this merge in the middle, and I don't see it getting any better because yes, as the as the young guys get better, like you know the Dylan Stroms, the Alex DeBrinkets, who had a little bit of an off season this year, the Dominic Kubaliks, you know, and all their young defensemen. You also and Kane's, I think, still two, three, four more years of incredible hockey right but you still have guys that are again older and just hurting against the cap and then Bowman went out and got guys like Zach Smith and Calvin DeHaan and Andrew Shaw who everybody thought oh those are great those are great trades last year but each one of those guys I looked at them I said you know on the surface that's a good looking guy to bring in a veteran with a lot of games and that's exactly what the Hawks need but my underlying concern with each player was that each player brought an injury history to the Hawks, and each player ended up getting hurt. Zach Smith, probably the least, but he was a fourth-line guy, right? So it wasn't as big a deal. But the other two guys, you're losing Sean and DeHaan for most of the season, and you still have Seabrook's contract costing you almost $7 million against the cap every year. I can go on and on. So the rebuild, unless they decide to strip this thing down, is I, I think it's going to take a long time. I mean, I don't know if it'll ever happen, to be honest with you. I mean, you still have Kirby Doc and Adam Boquist who are both going to continue to get better and outperform their contracts for the next couple of years. But they're still young. These guys, oh, I'm sorry, Chase. I could just, I could talk forever about this. But, I, but you look at the best teams in the league and even the, even the, even the bottom, bottom tier um, playoff teams, like maybe even a Minnesota, look at their rosters. I encourage people to go through their rosters. Look how many games the middle of their roster has. I mean, as far as, games in the NHL, right? Guys with 300 games, 450, 560, 700 games. Guys that aren't your stars, but guys who know how to win and have been around the league a long time. The Hawks do not have that, and they won't, you know, for a long time. So I think it's going to take a while, and it may never happen. There's also two competing issues there, too, which is that it's a huge market. Chicago, like, I don't, it seems like the fan base could not stomach a just full-on teardown, like, let's just blow this thing up and start over type deal um i i you you're from more familiar with that market than i am but that would be my guess is that it would not but then if you're um a cubs fan you're like you're a cubs and blackhawks fan you're like well it worked for theo and it worked for chicago it brought a ring and then you also think about where kane and twos were drafted they were number one and number two like in back-to-back years like you need like <laughs> the reason that you won three championships during that window was because you were able to nab two great all-time talents in back-to-back drafts at the top of the draft you have to be in that situation to get a jack Hughes. you have to be in a situation to get somebody like that um and the blackhawks don't have a avenue to getting there like kings were just like screw it we're going here we go let's go from eight seed to maybe winning a upset playoff series to we're going to be one of the worst teams in hockey um is that a fair assessment of like what they have to do and what kind of just mercurial situation they're looking at in chicago yeah, I mean, because look at not just you just mentioned the two best players, right? But look at look at the rest of the team that they developed from 2007 to 2010, and where some of those guys were drafted, right? Duncan Keith is going to go down as one of the best defensemen of all time, and he was taken 54th overall, right? <laughs> Brandon Saad was a second round pick. Andrew Shaw was a fifth round pick. Okay, so all these guys that they brought up through the pipeline were taken 
you know, well, well away from the first round. And they were big reasons the Hawks and Corey Crawford, look at Corey Crawford, right? They spent a lot of time in the minors before he became a full-time goalie. So they, so that's how you, like, like you're saying, that's how you build. You, you build with strong drafts over and over again. And until you're willing to do that again, then you're not probably going to be able to come out of where the Hawks are, which like we just said, is like a 500 hockey team. Could this market? I think yes. I mean, that's just me. I did, you know, back when the Hawks were awful from like 97 until 2007 or eight, basically the Hawks could, there was a minor league team for those who aren't familiar with our area to call the Chicago Wolves that played 15 miles from the United center. And they were out drawing the Blackhawks for a couple of seasons, an AHL team. Yeah, that's how bad the Hawks were. The Hawks were getting 4,000 fans, 5,000, 6,000 fans into the United Center, and the Wolves were drawing about the same and sometimes bigger numbers when quote-unquote rivals would come to town. That's the way it was. And and you could get into the United Center for 10 bucks back in 2007 to sit in the uh, upper levels. And so I did a huge, speech, a huge series on that, just saying, can hockey ever come back? And then, of course, the next year it did. Thanks to all these young kids and, and the way that talent, Patrick Sharp. But let's think about these couple of the trades, Hosa, a couple of major trades that were made. It's not all talent. It's not all drafts, right? You do have to have a couple of trades and and free agent signings and things like that to to help your boost your um boost your bottom line, boost your talent. But I think that yes, this team could or this franchise could definitely handle a teardown because because hockey has come back. You just have to have a, a GM in in place that you know, can pull it off. And this Dan Bowman, that GM, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. His, I feel like he drafts well and he has, and his scouting staff has a sensational eye for talent, especially overseas. I mean, if you go through the list of players, the Hawks have brought over from overseas and some of the draft picks they've made, it's impressive. His problem becomes like when he starts signing guys and falling in love with his guys for, for too much. Right. I mean, the Seabrook deals was just an albatross that basically put the team back back five years, at least five years and other signings too, that he just kind of, he overpays guys at times and it hurts. And in the salary cap area, you can't do that. You cannot overpay guys. So what do you think happens? Do you think Kane and twos are on this roster for the foreseeable future? Do they ride this out? Or do you think, I mean, they're starting to get more and more pieces popping up about like, what, are the, what is their trade value? Would they entertain trading at least one or two of them in the next year or two? Like, what does your gut tell you about their future with the team? My gut says that Kane will never go anywhere, at least until his contract runs out. And then we'll see if he wants to finish his career somewhere else, maybe in Buffalo, you know, where he's from. Um, so I don't think he goes anywhere until his, his deal is done, which is in 2022, 20, you know, after that season is over. Taves deal comes up at the same time. Maybe like if you approach Jonathan Taves and said, look, we're going to totally rebuild this team. Would you be willing to go somewhere else? Let's just say, for example, Taves says, yes, yep. I'm willing to go somewhere else. Okay. Now you're the GM. You have to go out and find a team that's willing to take Jonathan Taves Let's just say they tried it after this season, okay? And you have to find a team that's willing to take a 31, 32-year-old center who's, making, who has, who's carrying a $10.5 million cap hit. Now, that's not, that's not going to be easy, is it? He's still like the third or fourth highest paid player in the entire league. And he's a great hockey player, don't get me wrong. But you, I think the Hawks would have to be asked to eat some of that money. They might have to give up. I don't think the trade balances, you know what I mean? I don't know if the trade balances for the Hawks, other than the fact that you're, you are probably going to clear up a significant amount of cap space. Cause even if the Hawks are asked to eat a little bit of it, you know, not gonna, they're not going to be asked to eat half of it. So I don't know. I could see it possibly happening, but all those situations I just laid out for you have to fall into place. And I find, and, and then teams would have to like, where do you want to go? If you're Jonathan Taves, probably to Winnipeg, right? Or that'd be, here's probably one place you'd like to go. Would Winnipeg want to make that deal? Maybe. I mean, they're a very talented team. Do they have the cap space and, and, and all that kind of stuff? And, and who are they going to give up for them? And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I would give you about a 5% chance that that happens, but it's not completely impossible that it would happen. So there's my, there's my answer. To, sorry, that was a little long there, Chief. No, that's, that's my, that's like my two cents on it. Yeah. Um, that's a little more than two cents though. I think we got to make me that's like six, seven cents. Um, Oh, nice. Good. (laughs) I need it, man. Thanks. (laughs) Um, it's funny that we've talked, um, to this point, not brought up Jeremy Colleton. Uh, this is year two for him. What do you make of the job that he has done thus far replacing really just a hockey legend in Chicago? 
Yeah, so I got to know Jeremy a little bit behind the scenes, or not behind the scenes, whatever you want to call it. When he was coaching in Rockford, the Hawks AHL franchise, I spent the um, he's basically there when the year, Hawks right? were eliminated. Yeah, he was there for a year and a month, right? As soon as he was, uh, you know, Joel was fired. So I got to know him during that playoff run where Rockford went all the way to the Western Conference Finals and got to cover some games, talked to him one-on-one by myself numerous times, and He's really sharp. He's a really sharp hockey man. He gets it. I talked to, you know, some of you will remember the name Cody Franson, who was with Nashville for a long time, and the Hawks had him just for a short amount of time. And he was like, I love this. No, I love this guy. But he said something like this. He's going to make a fantastic NHL coach. He really gets it. He knows how to run practices. You know, he just went on and on about the guy. And I, and I wrote a huge feature about Jeremy when, during that end of that um, AHL, you know, playoff run that they had. And then, boom, they, they hire him in November. So how has he been as an NHL coach? I think he's learning on the fly. He's young. He's 34, 35. I don't have that. I think he's 34. So he's super young, right? I mean, he's my, he my like take on it is his brother. Like he is in that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. So my take on it is that he was probably could have, he, he definitely, I think he definitely could have used another year, maybe two grooming his skills or whatever in the minors. But you know, that wasn't, the, that wasn't the road that ended up being put in front of him. I mean, they were done with Joel, the Hawks were, and they thought, okay, well, Jeremy's the guy I would have maybe made him a coach in waiting still, but that's just me. I think the guys really respect him. I've heard from behind the scenes that Kane really likes him, that the veterans really do like him. The young guys all like him. They, a lot of them, you know, played with him or for him, I should say in Rockford. And he, he really understands the game. There are certain things that, you know, I question as a writer, as a guy who watches the Hawks all the time, um, a little bit of sometimes he'll stick with lines for too long. And sometimes he won't mix them up soon enough. Sometimes he sticks with a power play unit for too long. And then I'm like, Oh, Hey, that was smart. Maybe we should have had, they should have had Kubelik on the power first power play unit. You know what I mean? This guy's got a cannon of a, of a shot. Um, so little things like that. And, and then he's still trying to learn the league, right? I mean, there's still those nuances of, you know, how does this coach coach against you and how does all these other players. And so I think he's, somebody told me, he <laughs> has, He's a good coach in a bad situation. That's the best way. That was the perfect, succinct way to kind of sum it all up. So, I, you know, give him the right players. And I think, and this other person thinks that he can really succeed, but he's not in, you know, the perfect situation to really, to, to really succeed. And he's also probably not seasoned enough to be, you know, one of your top five coaches that can get maybe let's say six extra points out of a team or eight extra points out of a team. Cause you know, cause you just have that a little bit better, you're a little bit better coach than the guy next to you. He's not quite there yet. I don't think, but when he is, maybe he does take this like borderline playoff team and make him a playoff team. So that's my take on him. I like him. A transitional coach, or do you think the front office is going to give him as much time as he needs to get to that point? He's got a lot of rope. Okay. That much I can tell you. He's got a lot of rope. He will be around next season. Um, they like him. And as long as, as long as stands around, I really believe Jeremy's going to be around. I, I don't think they're in any hurry to make a change. I, you know, the fans on Twitter are constantly, you know, yelling for his head and, and stands head and well, all that. I don't like Twitter at all. I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, not at all. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but they, but, but I really, I, I am confident in saying highly confident that he will be around next season and probably be given the whole season. And, and they really like him. Like I said, I think he is a good coach. But he needs to have the right players in place to to make a team succeed, right? And, and and you know, if it doesn't work out after another one or two years, maybe they move on. Maybe maybe the whole maybe um, Rocky Wirtz and John McDonough move on from Stan Bowman too. But I really believe that both of them, Bowman and Carlton, will be around for the next two seasons, probably at the minimum. So I won't put that in stone, but that's that's really my belief. So through the twenty. What are we in 2020 right now? So the 21, 22 season, I'll bet they're both still here through that. And then if they haven't made the playoffs for, what would that be? Five straight years. Then, then yeah, it's time to probably just put some TNT in front of the team and just <laughs> blow the whole thing up. <laughs> um, Corey Crawford, is he the goalie for the Blackhawks next season? I have a gut feeling on that. And my gut feeling is, mm, you want to say no, <laughs> like, just say it. I know, I do. My gut Give feeling Twitter is no. what they want. Yeah, my gut feeling is no, because we asked, that was the last question I asked Stan on trade deadline day in St. Louis, and I said, are you concerned at all about Corey's injury history, concussion history? You know, because when you bring a guy back like that, he's had two serious concussions. And 
in a very short amount of time. So you're not going to, I don't think you're going to give a Corey a two year deal. Maybe give him a kind of like the Robin Leonard deal that they signed them to one year, 5 million bucks. Um, so maybe they do that. I wouldn't, that's, that's why my gut feeling says no. And, but it wouldn't totally surprise me to see him also bring him back for a year. So there are some free agent goalies the Hawks could, you know, explore going after. Um, but, but the injury history thing makes would concern me from, from the Hawks standpoint. And then Corey could hang it up. Um, you know, he's, he's got a young family. He has had, again, the head issues and maybe he decides I've won two Stanley cups. I've made 30 million bucks over the last five years. And you know, that's enough. I don't want to put my, my future at risk, my, my long-term future at risk, you know, with another head injury. So I'm going to go probably no, but again, it wouldn't surprise me to see him sign a one-year deal. And Again, as like you were kind of talking, like you you want to blow things up a little bit, then just bring a couple couple crappy goalies in for a season, right? <laughs> bring, bring two guys in that aren't going to be very good, and then let everybody else kind of improve in front of them, and then go sign some guy for five or six years, and maybe maybe you've had two good more, you know what I mean, two really great draft drafts in a row with two high picks, just like they have with Cannon Taves, and then you could be off and running again. Maybe you have three years in a row where you've got really high draft picks. And and you could really bring all that young talent up, and Kane and Taze are still here. Keith is still a decent second-pairing pairing defenseman at that point. Um, and then maybe, you know, because you, you win from the back end, right? You start with a goalie, and then you move, you move out. That's how you win in the NHL. So that so would be another goalie, another though. interesting that would be another interesting little strategy. Sorry, go ahead. Um, in front of the goal line, you have the blue line. Oh, well, where? How are they on the blue line? Do you think that they're still set up to be okay for the next couple of years? Um, there's a lot of ifs. I love that you never want to be negative on this podcast. <laughs> I can always tell when you're about to say something negative, and then you well, you pause, and you're like, you're it, don't go into um, don't be a, like a big Texas Hold'em person because I, I can go ahead and tell you that you would not fare well, uh, sir. Yeah, I know. I'd be creamed on this World Series of Poker, probably. <laughs> um, the the Hawks blue line is is. Is, is all sorts of the same way we just talked about the team in general, right? They've got, got older guys who are, who are on the decline, and they've got some really, really nice young talent coming up. But it, the, the problem is, Chase, in the NHL, as you know, you don't become a standout, unless you're phenomenal, you don't become a standout defenseman in your first 30 or 40 or 50 or 80 or 120 games. I mean, it takes most guys a couple seasons to really get it in the NHL, right? So you do the Hawks do have guys like Adam Boquist and Nicholas Bodan and Lucas Carlson and um, you know, other guys in the minors that are coming up and are going to be solid players, but we've also got Connor Murphy and Olimata and Duncan Keith. And then still what, what what's Brian Seabrook going to do? You know, what's going to happen with that with the $7 million caps hit still hanging over their heads. They have, they have some, the problem is the Hawks don't have a shutdown pair. They don't have a guy like Duncan Keith is playing 27 minutes a night. And on a true playoff team, I've said this a hundred times, by the way, Chase, on a true playoff team, Duncan Keith plays 20 to 22 minutes a night. He is a second power, second unit power play guy, and he's a second unit defenseman. And he would be phenomenal in that role. Think about that. Think about Duncan Keith in like Tampa Bay or Pittsburgh or, or um, St. Louis or any of the top teams in the league, Washington. Put him on one of those teams on their second pair. Imagine what that team is like with him on their second pair. But the Hawks are asking him to play 27 minutes a night on the top pair, and he looks great for most of the time. Or good. He looks good most of the time. But there are a couple times a game or a few times, and that's all it takes, right? Where he gets turned around or just something goes where he's just not the hockey player he used to be. Um, and the, he could use five less minutes a night playing against the, uh, the second line, the third line of the other teams. And that's, that's that if the Hawks could only stick a couple guys above him and let him play that second line, second pairing role, then that's what they need. But they don't have that. So they have a bunch of threes and fours and fives and sixes basically right now if, if you're looking at it as a playoff team that's so that's my thought on the on the blue line you have guys that could turn into ones and twos but it's still they're still a couple of years away well i apologize in advance for getting you blacklisted and blackballed from the united center and all future conversations uh with the gm and jeremy and everybody else because uh unfortunately i am recording this podcast and it will go up and i, I i'm not um I'm not responsible for the reaction from uh, uh, Chicagoites, so. Uh, hey, that's okay. I tell it like it is, man. Yeah, Jeremy, Jeremy, I think I was pretty, pretty good on Jeremy, right? He was, yeah. uh, 
Again, good, good, solid coach, but just in the in the wrong situation, like I said. So you well, gotta wrap up here. Um, yep. Give me your most interesting development from the Blackhawks this season. That uh, it can be positive or negative. Um, I'll be able to tell pretty early on if you're going to go the negative route, as we discussed. <laughs> but um, what uh, what would you say this season covering this team was the most interesting development? Oh, that's a good question. So you mean just like something I didn't expect? Is it, it could be. Something that you just found yourself thinking about a lot. Something that you found yourself was like, oh, going into this year, did not think that this was going to be a thing. Well, I guess I got to go with, you know, Dominic Kubelik. This is off the top of my head, right? He was a guy that came in, brought in from overseas, and he scored 30 goals. 30 goals, and they didn't even finish the season yet. And here's a restricted free agent with arbitration rights who all of a sudden on a team where the Hawks are already in cap trouble might be causing them big headaches because they weren't expecting this guy to have 30 shots on goal. I'm sorry, 30 goals for the season. So that's, I mean, I expected him to be a decent player, you know, um, but I didn't expect that to happen, especially the way he just took off. And once he, once they paired him with Jonathan Taves, and they put him a little bit of a – most of those goals chased, by the way, are, are um, even strength. I think he only has like three or four power play goals. So he's like 26. And, and he was only averaging like, I don't know, 14 minutes a game, 13, 14 minutes a game. So think about 30 goals averaging 13, 14 minutes a game, playing a lot of third-line minutes, and then he did get up with Taves on the first line. So he, he was an incredible surprise for the Hawks. Um, so that, I guess that was – to me, that was the most surprising – good thing that happened for the Hawks this year. And nothing really surprised me, I don't think, if you're looking at it from a fan standpoint, on the negative side. I mean, there was, there was the injuries. Like I told you before, I wasn't really surprised by any of those. And Crawford played well this year. Leonard played well. They shared the, they shared the net, but they didn't really like sharing that. So that was an interesting development, too. I don't know if that surprised me, either. Like, who wants to share the net, right? And Corey started playing better when he got the net back full time and I was always kind of like, well, don't you, isn't it nice to be off once in a while? No, he wants to play all the time. So that was, that was kind of surprising too to me, I guess. Cause like, again, you kind of think like it, the goalies, they get beat up there, you know, uh, some a veteran goalie, maybe he'd like some time off. Nope. Uh, Corey Crawford put me in there all the time. So, um, I guess that'll kind of, I gave you a couple answers there just to appease you, but those are my, those are probably my, Kubelik was definitely my most, the biggest surprise to me of, of the things that happened on the Hawks this season. There we go. John, this has been great. What can we check out from you this week on uh, the newspaper front? Well, let's see. Well, I guess before you, people go back just a, a week ago and try to, and on Twitter, I've got some good stories. We ran, we ran, we re, sorry, Chase, we re-ran that one change in the NHL series that um, ran about 14 months ago. And I added my thoughts to each player's um, suggestions. So that was kind of neat. And so I, I would highly recommend checking it out. I've also done a lot of kind of cool stories um, in the past few weeks. One was on Scott Darling coming back from, from overseas, playing in Austria with the coronavirus, like right next door in Italy. I did a five-year anniversary piece on his huge game here. Uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, I guess Nashville in 2015. And then I did a story on Calvin DeHaan starting a brewery in um, in Canada. So those were three. I really, those are, you know, we're, we're searching for anything we can write about right now. Right. So those were three stories that I took some time with nice features. And if you guys just kind of Google my name and those, and those names, you'll find, I think those are some really solid reads. People really enjoy those coming up, coming up wise. I'm just trying to keep my ears and eyes and ears open. And you know, like you said, see if, if this July thing is going to take off and, uh, and what's coming down the pike. Cause right now there's not, we don't have a ton to write about. There've been a couple little interview, you know, video conferences with Kane and Taves, that I did some stories off of too that were run by the NHL. And as a hardcore reporter, Chase, we don't like those too much because <laughs> we don't get to ask the questions, but mm-hmm. we did do stories on them. So those were, those were kind of neat too, just kind of so fans can get some insight on what those guys are doing, you know, as we're all kind of sheltering in place. So yeah, that's what I got for you. If you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's John Dietz, D-H. So at um, John Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, D-H. For Daily Herald, so that's my that's my handle on uh, on Twitter. Go do that, John. Keep up the great work, sir. And we'll have to touch base again soon. Sounds good. Appreciate your time, Chase. Uh, you have a great day, man. Thank you, John. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you 
uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, if you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, you can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash chase Thomas writer. Um, for as little as five dollars a month it helps the show keep the lights on so that would be a great help to me as well uh you can also follow me on twitter at chase underscore thomas you could go to chase which has all of my stuff all my episodes ever um links to everything that you need um and all of my writing that uh i'm doing fairly often these days um on the nfl on nba on college football on pro wrestling i write about everything i write a lot um so go read me on that front so if you're not tired of listening to me you can also read me um so that's awesome but uh i think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode Uh, i hope you continue listening that would be great and uh i will talk to you all again very soon thanks guys nicely done nephew Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.